Open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. The book of Romans, chapter 12. Up to this point, Paul ha has dealt with a number of things in chapters 1 through 5. He he's talked about and declared God's righteousness and man's sinfulness. He's talked about how the Jews were unable to follow the law lawfully and were in need of salvation. He talked about how all of creation has given evidence of who God is to those who are Gentiles and they too are without excuse, knowing the invisible God by the things that are clearly seen. He, he came to this place where he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that declaration of our need for God. He also dealt with God's salvation by faith alone and his sanctification in our lives in chapters 6 through 8. He talked about the nation of Israel, his sovereignty over the nation, his dealing with the nation, their responsibility in chapters 9 through 11. And now in chapter 12, he begins to talk about the application of all these things. Many people divide the book of Romans into two parts, and basically chapter 1 through 11 is the first part, and chapter 12 to the end is the second part. And so when he starts off the chapter in verses 1 and 2, he says, therefore, I urge you, that therefore is talking about chapters 1 through 11, all the things that I have talked to you about recognition of God's righteousness, our sinfulness, the need for salvation by faith alone, God's dealing with Israel, his sovereignty, his mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many people throughout their lives say, if I could only know what the will of God is. I wish I knew what the will of God is. Oh, what's the will of God for me in this situation and that situation? And Paul is giving us a, a little insight on how we can know the will of God in our lives. And first he says, I, I'm begging you. I beseech you. I urge you. I, I'm strongly asking you. I'm appealing to you. There's so many words that are used in so many different translations because that word is so rich. How can I say it any clearer? I, I'm urging you. In light or in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves. That word to offer, it has the idea of yielding. Surrender your body as a living sacrifice. Now, this is a different sacrifice than that of the Old Testament because those sacrifices were dead. This is a living sacrifice, so it is a willful yielding of our lives. And as he's presenting these things to us, he wants us to understand what our role is in relationship to God. God has done his part. That's what chapter 1 through 11 has talked about. Remember chapter 8? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God has done his part. In light of that mercy, I'm urging you. Yield yourselves. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Your bodies, your hands, your feet, your members. He talked about that earlier in chapter 6. And the idea of a sacrifice. How can a body become a sacrifice? Well, let the eye look upon nothing evil and it becomes a sacrifice. Let the, the tongue speak nothing that's shameful or slanderous and, and it'll become an offering to God. Let the hands not do anything that is unlawful and they become burnt offerings to the Lord. But it's not enough that it's just what we don't do, but it becomes then active of what we do. 
that we don't just not do certain things, but we actually engage in certain things. And if we offer ourselves an active practice to the good, the hand then must give, the mouth must bless and not curse, the ear must give attention to the voice of God. For a sacrifice has nothing impure. A sacrifice is giving to God the first of who we are. Remember, that's the idea of a sacrifice was the first fruits of what they had. When they took the grain, it was that first time that they took the sickle to the sheaves. They say, God, this is yours and I'll take the rest. Well, the first, the most important, the, the most important things of our lives need to belong to God. The things that are first and foremost. Present your bodies, living sacrifice, give to God the first part of your life, the things that are most important. The only thing that dies in a living sacrifice is the sinful rebellion towards God and towards men. That's what's put to death, is the rebellion that we've had towards God, the self-centeredness that hinders our relationship with other people. That's what needs to die. The rest needs to be alive to God. And so there is a death of the rebellion, but there is a life. It's a living sacrifice. A dead sacrifice does no good here. It does no good in our service to God. God doesn't want you dead. He wants you alive. He wants you to present yourself to be useful to him in these areas of your life. And when he says, verse two, don't be conformed any longer. Some translations say, and don't be conformed because it is connected to this idea of a living sacrifice. Don't be connected or don't be disconnected here. It's not verse one and now here's a different thought. Verse one and two go hand in hand. And he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That word transformed is the word we get metamorphosis. It's a whole new creation here. Be changed. How can I be changed? By the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world or to this age, but be changed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what does it mean to be conformed to this world? What's he talking about? There's a sharp contrast here between this age or this world and the age to come, what God has in store for us. In 1 John chapter 2, around verse 14, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. For those things are of the world and not of God, and the world and its lusts will pass away, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. And so John kind of gives us insight into what the world is. It is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It is the natural things. Don't cater to the temporary. And when it talks about being conformed to this world, it's not talking about style of what kind of clothes you wear. It's good to conform to some degree to this world. Otherwise, we'd all still have mullets. You know, I mean, it would be, you need to conform to a certain degree. That's part, that's not what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, you, you don't want to conform to the place where you're not being pure or, or being modest. But the idea of conforming to the world isn't just in the superficial things, what kind of music you listen to. Because I've heard so many studies that, well, don't be conformed to the world. Well, don't listen to this kind of music and don't, you know, read those kinds of things and don't dress a certain way and don't get... It's like, well, and all the people who talk like that end up conforming to those things to a certain degree. You know, they still are dressed temp contemporarily. You know, they're not dressed like they were back in the 20s or, you know... In, they're not wearing robes like in the Bible days. I mean, you're, you're conforming to the society. That's not what it's talking about. The conforming that it's talking about to this world age is living for the things you see, the things you desire, and for yourself. The pride of life. Jesus said, 
A man cannot serve two masters. He will love the one, hate the other. He will cleave to the one. You cannot serve God, and he said mammon, or money, or material. The world is living for the material, for the most part. They're living for what they can get, what will satisfy the flesh. Don't be squeezed into the world's mold. That's J.B. Phillips' translation. Don't let that determine your priorities. Instead, your priorities, my priorities, if we are following Jesus, need to be changed. They need to be different. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to allow the things of heaven to be our priority. Set your mind and your eyes on the things above, not on the things of earth, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3. We're not to involve ourselves with the, the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. He talks about in Galatians chapter 5. And, and so there is a, a sharp contrast between the material, the self-serving, the things of this world that are all about this world and the temporary, and there is the things of God. And we need to be careful that we are not living for things that satisfy just the flesh. We need to change how we think. We need to renew our minds. There needs to be a change that takes place within us where we are no longer just thinking about the things of the flesh, but we are thinking about the things of the spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. We are being changed into his likeness, the Lord, who is spirit. You see, our tendency is to be transformed to the things that are the flesh, the things that are temporary, the things that change, the things that fade away, the things where Jesus said uh, thieves come in and steal and moths can eat at or rust can take away. And we put our stock on the temporary things and Jesus said, we're being transformed, changed into his likeness, and God is spirit. Our minds are being set on the spiritual things and not on the earthly things. And so that's what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then when you are spiritually minded, when you are aware of the spiritual things and not just the natural things, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Have you ever been distracted by something? And it's in your mind. There's sometimes when I'll try and be studying and my daughter will have music on and it'll be like country music or something like that and I've got this song in my head and I'm sitting there trying to read and all I hear is, you know, I'm just... And it's distracting. It's taking my focus off of what I'm looking at and it's taking it somewhere else. And this world does that with us. Oh, we get so worried about so many things. I'm, I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about our finances. I'm worried about our kids. I'm worried about so many things. And how can I hear the voice of God when my life is filled with worry and concern about all these things and wanting to make sure all these things are, are taken care of. I got to make sure this is done and my focus is on all the temporary things and God is saying, can you hear me through all the noise? And don't we fill our lives with noise? When we go in the car, the radio's on and depending on who you are, you listen to talk radio, you listen to, you know, Bible studies. You listen to the oldies. You know, you listen, whatever it is you listen to, you, you, you're, something's going on in the radio. Put your favorite CD in. 
And you're constantly filling yourself with this. You come home, you sit down, watch TV. Have to have that noise, always. And when does God get to speak? When are we quiet and he gets to speak? There's sometimes when I get in my truck and, and I'll go for a, a drive and if it's out in Orange County, it might be an hour, hour and a half, depending on traffic. Sometimes I don't want anything on. I don't want to hear the news. I don't want to hear music. I don't want to hear Bible study. I don't want to hear anything. I want, I want my mind to not be so distracted so I can be able to hear the Lord. I know this sounds weird, but a lot of ideas and things that I get from my studies will happen like when I'm in a shower. It's like I don't have any distraction, you know? I, I'm in this realm of hot water, you know? And I, I'm in a different universe, and, and I'm able to put aside all the other stuff, and I'm able to just kind of hear. And it, it's funny. I, I mean, to me, it's funny. It's like, well, I think I'll go take a shower. I need to study, you know? I mean, but just to put ourselves aside so that we can hear the voice of God and not be distracted, because we are. We're so easily distracted. And so if we want to be able to hear the voice of God, if we want to be able to know what his will is, we need to allow our minds to be mindful of him. We need to change our focus and not be so earthly minded, but be heavenly minded. He goes on in verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, that would include us, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ. We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, prophesying, let him use it in the, prophet, in the proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. He starts off and he says, all of you, you need to make sure that you do not think yourself more highly than you ought. Why do you think he's telling us that? <laughs> because our natural inclination is to think of ourselves a little better than we really should. And notice that he goes on and he gives this idea of others because what happens and what he's talking about is comparing. Once you compare yourself to someone else, know this, pride is involved. As soon as you put yourself and someone else and you start comparing, you have involved pride. Because now your standard is, well, I did this, they're doing this, I am here, they are there. I'm going to compare who I am to who they are and know this, pride is involved. And Paul is telling us, you need to think sober judgment. In other words, you need to, to think rationally. The idea of sober judgment means you need to process what's going on. God made them different than he made you. And you need to recognize that and understand that they don't have the same gifts that you do. They aren't supposed to. You ever meet some people and they are just so brash in how they talk to people? They're just so, you know, upfront in your face. I mean, we joke about some people that we know because they're so, how's it going? Fine. You know, okay, you know. And they're just so abrupt in the way they talk to you. And it's like, this person is not gifted, you know, in the hospitality ministry. <laughs> But boy, are they good in other areas. But once you start saying, you know, me and Joe over here, 
that guy just doesn't know how to communicate with people. Man, he's rough, he's rude, he's just oblivious. Someone will be, you know, I've had times where I'm talking with someone and someone is, is in tears talking to me about a, a burden in their life. And someone will come up in the middle of the conversation, oblivious and say, hey, you know what happened to me today? And I'm like, what's wrong with you? You know, what's going on? Don't you see what's happening here? And they're oblivious. And my tendency is to think, oh man, that person is immature and they're definitely not discerning at that moment. But you know what? God has made them different. And he's got a purpose for them. And we need to be careful that we understand that, that we recognize the differences that are there are important. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, he gave a neat story Chapter 14, verses 8 through 11, he says, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least place and go back. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's our attitude, to take the least seat. And so Paul tells us not to think higher than we should, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Think of yourself in the right way. Take that lower seat when you're talking with someone. Esteem them more important than yourself. And recognize that everyone has been gifted in certain ways. And now here's one of the few places where God or Paul actually mentions gifts. I know we think of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 but actually the word gifts isn't used. It's the word spiritual or being spiritual. And we've added the word gifts because that's how we de define it. But here's one of the few places where he actually uses the word gifts. And he gives us a number of gifts that I think really encompass somewhere where we fall into. The first one he says is prophesying. Prophesying isn't necessarily declaring the future. It is Declaring or making the truth known. It is proclaiming the truth. That's what it means to prophesy. So it's not like in the year 2010, you know, that's where we think of prophecy because of movies and all, but it's actually declaring the future. Next, he talks about serving or ministry, where you're there helping and taking care of and work doing the work. Do you remember in the book of Acts when uh, Dorcas died? They called Peter and they said, we need help. Why? Because Dorcas died and she was known for sewing things and putting things together and we needed her. Give us someone else because Dorcas is dead. There are people who serve who are very important. I mean, when we go to, to the building on Sunday morning and we go there, there are people who've driven the trailer there, who have unloaded, set up the sound. There are people who are serving. There are people who are in there with the kids. So we go and sit down. We're all, oh, nice. Someone forgot to turn the air on today. Oh, man, you know, I just... And we start complaining. We don't realize people have been serving. They're giving of their time and they're doing it. And we need those people. If we didn't have servants and it was just me, we'd be in big trouble. Big trouble. And so when the servants don't show up, that's when you guys notice. If I don't show up, there's someone else taking my place. But the servants, man, you need them. Those servants, so people in serving in ministry, teaching, and teaching means giving insight to the instruction. It's different than prophesying or just proclaiming the truth. It's giving detailed instruction to the things that you're looking into and to the scriptures. And so there's a difference between teaching and there's a difference between preaching. But it is a gift, encouraging or exhortation. That's a gift. Some people are great at that. Some people are very good at, at giving you a little kick in the behind to get you going and you don't even know it. You think it was your idea. And they, they've helped you along. They gave you a little push. Hey, you can do it, man. I know you can do it. Don't give up. 
go on, man. You can do it. And you feel like, yeah, I can. I, I can do that. They've encouraged you. There are people who have gifts like that, that are able to use those gifts into your lives, who are able to exhort you, contributing or giving. And with these, he gives a little insight. If you're going to be giving, give generously. If that is your gift, then do it. There are people who are blessed financially and have this gift of giving. I know of people who have helped our ministry out. If we go to Mexico or when we're getting started and they're financially well-to-do and they'll write a check that's generous. That if you've got that gift, use it generously. And I pray you all have that gift here tonight. <laughs> the church needs that. The church needs those who are able to give generously. Leading, if you're going to lead, be diligent. Leadership and diligence go hand in hand. The worst thing to have is a leader who gives up or stops in the middle, who doesn't take care of everything. He leads you up to so far and then, ah, no, let's stop. I don't think I want to go there after all. Let's take a break. You know, when you're leading us, you need to be diligent. Take us someplace. Mercy, do it cheerfully. That goes hand in hand. If you're going to be merciful, have the right attitude. Okay, I'll help you. There's five bucks, man. You better use it wisely. You better not, you know. If you're going to do it here, man, just happy to bless you. Happy to do it. Do it cheerfully. No strings attached. Jesus says when someone comes and you owe them, don't seek to get it back. When we have loaned people money or, or things, we've kind of made it our state of mind that we're not going to get it back. It's just better that way. You're not disappointed. And if they give it back, you feel, wow, cool. That's a gift, but I don't expect it back. I don't, okay, you know, we're loaning you this, but hey, I want it back. Sometimes you'd like them to grow and give it back and be responsible, but I don't ever think, well, I hope I get some, I get this back. Do it. God bless you. Try and do it cheerfully. And I, that's hard. If you've got that gift, God bless you, because that's a difficult one. But to do it and to do it cheerfully. And so here he gives a list of these things, prophesying, proclaiming. There's some people who preach, some people who serve, some people who teach, some people who exhort or encourage, some people who contribute or give, some people who are able to lead, some people who show mercy. Find yourself. Where are you in that list? What are your strengths? What are your gifts? How are you doing in them? Is God using you in these areas that he's gifted you in? Because he wants to. And remember, if he's gifted you to be a leader. And this other person isn't a leader or a servant. You know, wow, this person's serving. Yeah, look at that person, man. They don't serve at all. They come here all smiley, happy. I'm here sweating. You know, man, he ought to get right with God. He ought to, you know, and you start comparing yourself and you don't realize that that person's gift might be contribution and they give. And you don't see it, so you better not make them mad. <laughs> you want to be careful in how you see and judge people. God has gifted us all individually. You know, when a, a person is building something, a craftsman, in his toolbox he'll have a hammer, he'll have a screwdriver, he'll have a chisel, whatever is necessary for what he's working on. And all of those are necessary. When we were doing our room addition, there were tools I never knew existed. And I was so happy to discover them. Because, boy, I needed one of those. If I'm going to make that wall straight, boy, I better get one of those long levels. Because that little, you know, 10-inch one isn't going <laughs> to, that wall is going to start going like this. You, you need a big level. And someone is here for certain gifts, and they're all necessary to build the body of Christ. And so... Don't compare yourself to anybody. And he carries this theme on in verse 9. He says, love must be sincere, or it might say without hypocrisy. 
Oh my gosh. How powerful is that? Love needs to be genuine. Because we are to love one another. And he, he builds this up. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, now he's talking about the evil things that people are involved in. The evil things that destroy people. The intents and the attitudes that are, are evil. He's talking about hypocrisy. Remember, Jesus said, you know, that's what you need to hate. He, he talked about the leaven that, that leavens the whole lump, and he told the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We need to hate those things. And so he's talking about those kinds of characteristics that we need to hate. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. What is good? Love is good. Sincere love. You need to cling to that. Be devoted, what? To one another in brotherly love. Those of us who have family, you know what it's like to, to love your children, to love your parents or your brothers and sisters. They're dear to you. And he's saying we're to have that love for one another. That's hard. And sometimes we battle with the area of time because I have to give time to my family. I, I'm responsible to that and I can't give time to everyone like I do my family. But when I do show love to someone, it has to be like they're my family. Think about that. Think of what God is asking us to do because this is all a part of changing how we think. Find someone in the church and think, what would you do if they were your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter? How would you treat them? I'd ground them. You know? <laughs> I'd take the keys away to the car. I, you know, I don't know what that love would show, but it would be a genuine concern for them. Bottom line. See, even when I disciplined my kids, it was to hopefully get them to get better. We are to show each other brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Does anyone do that? Or does anyone have a problem doing that? It's more than one place in Scripture to honor others more than ourselves, to think of others better than ourselves. And this has to do with this attitude, think soberly. Honor, give prestige to others above yourself. Place them in a higher role. Now, I am in a position where I'm a pastor and people put me on a role or a pedestal. Role is. <laughs> they put me on a pestle because I'm a pastor. I speak and I, I declare and give them the scriptures, and so I'm in a place of, quote, importance. But you see, according to scripture, I'm to take everyone who sits here and place them in a place of honor above me. And the ultimate example of this was Jesus. He girded himself, took a towel, went to his disciples and washed their feet. The job of a slave. And he says, if I am your Lord and I am, I'm washing your feet. How much more should you wash each other's feet? That's the attitude. Honor others more than yourself. And the minute you start thinking someone owes you something, you need to pull out this scripture. People don't owe me anything. I don't deserve anything. I'm not in a place I deserve. I need to honor others more than myself. And it's important that we all have that attitude. It says, verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Man, these, these verses are practical Christian living. 
This is how, you want to know how to live a Christian life? Read chapter 12 of Romans. This is what it's about. And, and he's talking about lack, don't lack in zeal. You, you need to always be zealous. And this also carries in the attitude, earn your keep, work, do what's necessary to provide what's necessary for yourself. But keep your spiritual fervor. In other words, stay strong spiritually. Serve the Lord. Be joyful in your hope. Remember, we've talked about hope is something that we're waiting for. We've talked about hope is something that has suffering usually around it. We hope that we'll be done with this thing. We're, we're looking for that time when the Lord will come back and deliver us from this. Hope is not something we have right now, but we look forward to. And so we need to be serving the Lord and joyful in hope. Joyful when we're waiting for this sickness to end. Joyful when we're waiting for this financial turmoil to end. Joyful when we're going through and we're waiting for whatever it is. We need to have joy in the midst. In other words, we're not to be sourpusses and just like, oh, woe is me. Yeah, you know, I wish I would just die. This is so bad. I mean, if you've had teenagers, you know what this is like. You know, it's and you were once there too yourself. Maybe you still are and haven't grown up. Where all it is is just, woe is me, life is miserable, I can't believe it, you know, no one likes me, I have no friends. You know, and then five minutes later, they're going off with their friends. But this attitude of just, woe is me, he's saying be joyful in hope. And then he goes on and he says, patient in affliction. Wow. When you're suffering, be patient just like the Lord was. If something is difficult and hurting, be patient. Don't just react, be patient. And then faithful in prayer. Wow. Are you going through a time of affliction? Are you waiting for, hoping for something to come through for the Lord, for this promise to be manifested in your life? Are you praying? Or are you complaining? Be faithful in prayer. If you're going through these things, be faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. He's telling that to all of us. One of the biggest problems in Christianity are people are not hospitable. That they don't practice hospitality. That they rub people the wrong way. That they're rude. Well, I told them the truth got to be hospitable though you got to tell them the truth in love well, i'm just here to tell them how it is karina and i went to a function and and it was for young adults and the whole study was built on talking and i guess about the cults mormonism jehovah's witnesses uh christian science it came across very condescending, very, it didn't have a lot of love behind it. It, it didn't, it came across, we're right, you're wrong, we'll make fun of you. And most of the people there were Christians and Karina and I were just grieved that, you know, what did they leave here with that's really gonna help them to minister to someone who's lost in the cults, who has the wrong Jesus, who is going to hell. How, how is this going to help them reach them? Are they gonna shoot them with this information? I've got this, you don't have this, I'm right, you're wrong, because that's not gonna win them. It's not. Love will. Be hospitable. You have to share. And here he's talking about with God's people who are in need, you, you need to be open to them. But we need to show these things generally verse 14 bless those who persecute you i guess yeah i guess we have to believe that one huh bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse just gotta let that one sink in sometimes because all of us go through persecution of some sort i remember it was justin alfred who shared one time about something that happened to him that was very hurtful. And what he did to get out of that hurt was he prays for those people. And what does he do? He prays blessing. 
and we were talking about this just the other night, those who have done us harm, I pray blessing. Lord, I pray you would bless them financially. I pray that you would bless them spiritually. I pray you'd bring peace into their life. And what that does is check your heart. And that's what we're supposed to do. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Don't go talk bad about them. You know what so-and-so did to me? They did that, blah, blah. Bless them, don't curse them. That's hard. That's very hard, but that's being like Jesus. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Why does he keep telling us about being proud, being conceited, dealing with people? Why do you think he keeps telling us that? Because we need to. It's funny to think, well, yeah, I'm going to humble myself and I'll, I'll hang out with these people of low caliber. You ever wonder if maybe that's what they're doing with you? <laughs> you know, maybe they're hanging out with me because they're seeing me in that low position. Which one am I? But don't be conceited. Don't be proud. Re rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't cause friction. Try and work together. Years ago, there was a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, we were roommates for a while, and I used to go, his dad was a pastor, and I'd go to the midweek study sometimes over at his church, and one day I was, got off work, and I came up there, it was a small group, and pulled up late, drove in, and he was sitting there uh, on the curb, and as I came up to him, he was just quiet, and his name was Michael, and I just said, hey, Mike, what's up? And he just sat there, and he was quiet for a minute. And I said, what happened, man? What's going on? He said, well, my grandfather died today. And he couldn't be in church. He was alone with his thoughts, and he was dealing with this. And he's probably about 18 years old at the time, maybe 19. I think I was the same. And he was just out there sitting there thinking, and he just said, my grandfather died today. And I don't know what happened, but when he told me that, it was as if my own grandfather had died. And I just started crying and I just hugged him and we sat there and cried together. And, it, it, you know, if someone were to drive up, it would look pretty strange. It would look, you know, what are these guys weeping together? But it was something that knit our hearts together for till this day. I'm still in touch with Mike. He's dear to me. We experienced something a morning together that was just very powerful. And it wasn't manufactured by me. God just put on my heart the loss that he had. And I just I, I just hugged him. I said, I'm, right, I'm sorry. And I just started weeping. And it was like it gave him permission. And he just started bawling. He started sobbing. And he just hugged me. And he held on to me. And it was powerful. And God wants that for us. He wants us to be able to mourn with those who mourn. He wants us to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's so nice to be able to have something that you rejoice in and someone can rejoice with you. But don't you hate it when you've got good news and you go, oh man, I just won the lotto. And someone goes, oh, I wish I would have won the lotto. You know, well, you shouldn't be playing the lotto. You know, you shouldn't... <laughs> You know, and they, they come and they just rain on your parade. And I didn't, I didn't win the lotto, by the way. Um, they just rain on your parade. You're all excited and they just squash it instead of rejoicing with you. Or you're afraid to open up and mourn because, well, I got to keep that. We're supposed to be able to mourn with those who mourn. We're supposed to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's part of being a family in God. We do it with our, our family, our biological family. He's saying this is supposed to be a part of who we are as Christians. And, and who wouldn't want to be a part of this family if it were taking place within our lives? Then again, he says, don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low positions. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Anyone means anyone. Be careful 
to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Do you know how impossible that is? How do you do what's right in the eyes of everybody? I can't even do what's right in the eyes of, of everyone in my family. But he, he tells us that we are to try. He says, you know, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And then verse 18 connects to it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, that's up to you. How they respond to that is up to them. But what you can do, do. As much lies with you, in you, be at peace with everybody. Don't harbor the feelings. Don't do what's right. Try and, and cater to the things that you know are going to minister to them. Remember when they were struggling with, well, should we eat food that is sacrificed to idols? Or Well, some are saying, no, you, you can't. Well, some are saying, yeah, you can. And Paul said, you know what? If it causes my brother to stumble, I'm not going to do it. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to prove to you scripturally that you can eat meat that is sacrificed to idol. Because he said an idol is nothing. It matters not. But he says, if it causes my brother to stumble, I won't do it. I'm not going to eat meat because it causes my brother to stumble. It's sacrificed to an idol. Why? Because love is more important than proving right. I want to make sure they don't stumble. I want to live at peace with all people. I'll give up a hamburger if it'll help win you to the Lord and work in your relationship to God. I'll give up what those things are. I'm going to try as much as possible to live at peace with you and to do what's right in everyone's eyes. Man, that's tough. That's convicting. That takes work. It takes work. It's not an easy thing to do. Do not, verse 19, take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And what he's talking about is his conscience will have to deal with the fact that he's treated you wrong, but you've treated him right. It's not like that'll get him. Because that's opposite of what we've been talking about. We're talking about living at peace, loving and caring for, not repaying evil. So he says, do this and that'll really get him. That's not the meaning here. The idea of heaping hot coals on his head is it's going to make him think. How can I treat you so bad and you treat me so good? It'll make them think. And so this is what we're supposed to do. If our enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him something to drink. Verse 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil. How do you do it? You do it with good. You don't sit back and say, well, I'm just going to be, you know, here and quiet. No, I, we can actually overcome evil, but we can't do it by passively doing nothing. What we have to do is actively be doing something good. And that gets into this whole idea of a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. We're not just, well, I'm not going to do anything bad. No, my body belongs to God. I'm going to yield myself to him. I am going to be in his service. I am going to be doing the good things. What things? Well, I'm going to be loving others as myself. I'm going to be esteeming them, honoring them in a place above me. I'm not going to be repaying evil for evil. I'm going to be showing mercy. I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to be serving. I'm going to be giving. I'm going to be using the gifts that God has given me to bless other people. I'm going to be active, involved in what's going to happen. I will overcome evil with the good if I am actively doing what God has called me to do. We will see evil overcome. What's it going to take for this country to turn around? We need a law. We need a law that's going to stop homosexual marriage. And we need a law that's going to stop the, the wrongs that are being done and the injustice. We need a law. A law is not going to win this battle over evil. Never will. Never will. You cannot legislate this victory. It's going to come by God's people being like Jesus and overcoming evil with good. 
You know, instead of passing a law that makes it illegal for homosexuals to be married, let's win some homosexuals to Jesus. Let's love them and lead them to Christ so that they can lead their friends to Christ so that they can change from the inside out. And you know what? Who cares about the law? They're Christians now and they're living God and they've lived, left their lifestyle and they're living for Jesus. And now what the law is irrelevant because of who they are. You've changed the person. The law will not change the person. The law is not going to change this country. Am I saying we should make it legal? No. If it's on the ballot, I'm going to vote for my conscience sake. But what we need to do is stop worrying about all the things. If you want to overcome evil, you have to do it by being good. That's how you're going to overcome evil. You're not going to pass a law that's going to make it all better. And you're not going to shut yourself into a church and keep everyone out. You have to actively be doing good if you want to see evil overcome. It's the only way. That's the only way. And so many times we think, I don't know what we think. But we don't recognize that it's our responsibility to step into this battle and do what God has called us to do. That's how we overcome evil. Anyway, let's pray. God, there is so much in these passages. It is so convicting to me as we're going through these things. And as I was studying it, I, I just felt like, oh gosh, I could spend the whole study and just talk about what it means to honor others more than myself, to just talk about these gifts, about prophesying, about serving, about giving, about mercy. God, there's so much here. Lord, it is rich. And it is practical, Lord, you are telling us how to love one another, how to serve one another, how to be a part of this body of Christ and to guard ourselves from pride, to guard ourselves from being conceited, to think soberly and recognize that you are working in everybody's life individually to do their part. And we can't compare. We can't expect them to be who we are but we can show them love. We can show them mercy no matter who they are. And God, we need to do those things. We need to live this life that you, Jesus, lived. We need to honor you and, and the things that you have asked of us. And if we do, Lord, it'll be a light to this world. It will conquer the gates of hell. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to see where we fit in this chapter, that you would speak to us, and Lord, that you would change us. We would allow your words to transform us, that we would think on these things, that we would think differently. And Lord, if we would allow these things to be our frame of thought, our mind, then we would know your will, your pleasing and perfect will. And I pray you help us to do these things, Lord. We do ask it in Jesus' name.